0: Welcome to the show, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, this is the season for barbecues, outdoor hikes, picnics, and of course, allergies. So today we're joined by Dr. Andrew O'Keefe and Dr. David Yu, who are allergists from the NL Allergy and Immunology Clinic in St. John's. Together, we'll explore the ins and outs of environmental and food allergies, and how they impact our daily lives, and the effective strategies we can use to manage them. We'll chat about some common allergens during different seasons, ways to mitigate their effects, and even some fascinating facts about how our changing climate is influencing allergy patterns here in the province. Almost 30% of us grapple with allergies, so it's something that either impacts us or someone we know. Let's start our show with our interview with Dr. Andrew O'Keefe.
1: Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's
0: a really timely topic right now. We're going to be chatting about allergies today, and we're going to talk specifically about Newfoundland and Labrador. But before we get into that, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your clinic?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm an allergist and clinical immunologist. I operate out of a community-based practice in St. John's, Newfoundland. I was one of the first board-certified allergists to return to Newfoundland in 2014. So since then, I've had two other allergists join me, um, Dr. Kelia Farrell and Dr. David Yu, and I understand you'll be speak with Dr. Yu later. So now we have three of us working here in St. John's and we've been working to promote excellence in the specialty of allergy since we came to Newfoundland and helped to uh, keep folks here in St. John's and throughout the province healthy with respect to allergies, asthma, and other sorts of conditions that we treat.
0: Okay. So as a physician with a specialty looking at allergies, what type of training do you have to go through?
1: so an allergist is a physician who has completed medical school obviously that's the first step and then has completed further training either in internal medicine or pediatrics Uh, so that training can be either three or four years and after that it's at least another two years in training that's focused specifically on allergy and clinical immunology so that's an important distinction i think because not everyone who does an allergy test is an allergy doctor so Mm -hmm. I think it's important for folks to know who they're seeing and what their qualifications are, because sometimes these tests can be misused. The test itself is easy to perform, but it's not always a great test. Like we can see false positives with it. So you want to use the appropriate test for the appropriate person at the appropriate time. And we want to give you the best advice that we can, understanding the limitations of these tests to help you improve your life. So when possible, my advice would be to see a board certified allergist, and we'll discuss how to find one in a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's definitely got to be a challenge. And it is a specialty because it's not super easy to understand. It's not the simplest of physiological processes, how these happen in the body. And that's one of the things I hope we can get down to today is we can tell people just how they work and and who's susceptible to these types of allergies. And I guess, We should probably just start off with the most basic, but it's probably the most robust uh, definition, and that is what actually are allergies?
1: So the term allergy is used in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. And some people, I think, would use the word allergy and reaction synonymously, but when I'm talking about an allergy. I have a very specific thing in mind, which is something different from an intolerance or a sensitivity or other types of non-immune mediated reactions that people might have. So an allergy is an immune mediated reaction against something that is foreign to your body. And typically this foreign thing should be something that is benign. So like Protein from peanut, for example, or pollen, like our bodies shouldn't have a bad reaction to those things because they're not inherently dangerous to us. But for whatever reason, the immune system goes off the rails and makes a reaction to one of those things, which can result in different symptoms depending on what the allergen is. So uh, the symptoms of reaction to a a food allergen are quite different from reaction to an environmental allergen.
0: Okay. So when these happen, uh, somebody in my family has a very severe peanut allergy, actually sort of one of my best friends growing up and they had to carry like an EpiPen. So what actually happens when we get to this stage of having these severe reactions?
1: Yes. So we we tend not to think about, or I don't tend to think about food allergies in terms of levels of severity. Like someone has a a mild peanut allergy or a severe peanut allergy because if you have a food allergy which is one of these immune mediated reactions to a food and the type of immune reaction is called ige any of those could potentially be anaphylactic and so we can't necessarily predict how bad your reaction is going to be with a skin test or with a blood test and you can have a a milder reaction at one time and then at a later time have a different reaction because there are all these other factors that contribute to the type of reaction that you could have at a given time. So things like exercise, how active your immune system is at a given time. So if you had a a cold or a flu, alcohol consumption, use of medications like anti-inflammatory drugs can make these reactions worse. So there's lots of different factors that can contribute to the severity of a a food reaction. So it's kind of a misdemeanor I think to think of a food allergy is people ask me often like, oh, well, am I anaphylactic to it? And if you have a food allergy, you could potentially be anaphylactic to it. Now, if you had a a sensitivity or an intolerance like lactose intolerance, lactose intolerance is is never life-threatening. It can be really unpleasant, um, but it's not something you need to carry an EpiPen for, as an example.
0: Ah, that's excellent. Okay, well, that's that's good because I think there is a lot of clarity on this, and this is one of the benefits of me doing this show is that I get to learn things because it's not something we're really taught about a lot, uh, and it's also something that can affect a lot of different people. You know, what populations can develop allergies, and are there any common risk factors among these people?
1: So anyone can really develop allergies, and environmental allergies are are, are one of the most or, rhinitis, we would say, is one of the most common chronic conditions experienced by people. So lots of folks do have allergies to things in their environment. So things like dust mites or pets or different types of pollen. And we don't fully understand why some people develop allergies and other people don't. There there have been studies to show that there is a genetic component. So if you have a parent who has some sort of allergic disorder, and that could be something like asthma, eczema, a food allergy, or an environmental allergy, then their children will be at higher risk. And they have, If they have two parents who have those disorders, then they have an even higher risk. So there is definitely genetics playing a part there, but there are other factors too, in terms of exposure. So there are some interesting studies done in Germany that looked at children who are raised on a farm and they're being exposed to different types of bacteria and infections probably through that, that they might be less likely to develop allergies as they age, versus children who are raised in a more urban center without those same types of exposures in the burn might be at higher risk to develop allergies. And, and other studies have looked at, you know, if you grow up with a with a dog or a cat at home, are, are you you might be less likely to develop allergies. But there's there's lots of different puzzle pieces to this. So we don't fully understand it all yet.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I've always heard that some people's parents clean more than others and they didn't play in the dirt enough and that makes them sensitive, but it's nice to know that there might be some link between aspects of the environment. Now, when our body has this reaction, you mentioned seasonal allergies, things like runny noses and things like hives in your skin or swelling in certain cases, what's going on when some of these things occur when we have this allergic reaction?
1: So for an allergic reaction to occur, the protein that you're reacting to has to get inside your body somehow. So that could be through the mucous membrane. So for environmental allergies, we think about the eyes, the lining of the nose and the lungs. So I'm allergic to dust mites, for example. When I'm exposed to dust mites and we are all exposed to dust mites, those symptoms could be inflammation around the eyes, in the nose, which causes itchy nose, sneezing, runny nose, and if I had asthma, that could cause inflammation in my chest, in my airways, and make my asthma worse. So what's happening there is that there's this protein coming from outside I am a susceptible individual because my immune system has decided it's going to make this antibody, IgE, against the dust mite protein. So when those, those IgE molecules are circulating throughout my body, and they're getting attached to different cells called mast cells uh, inside the airways. They're kind of all over, right? And so when those specific cells meet up with the dust mite protein, they cross link, and that sends a message down into the cell for it to release all these different chemicals. So people have often heard about antihistamines. So histamine is one of these chemicals, but there's a whole bunch of others. And they cause all these effects that result in, in the symptoms that we have. So they dilate blood vessels, they recruit other inflammatory markers around those sites. So you get all these effects of inflammation around the the sites where you were exposed to the allergen, like the eyes, the nose, and the lungs.
0: Mm, that's interesting. Okay. So this protein that normally doesn't have an interaction with most people, if people are susceptible to it, it it turns on cells and, and starts to create processes that would normally occur. I get yeah, that. that's right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That's good. Cause I've actually got some allergies too. Can people grow out of allergies or change or can they become more mild or more severe over time?
1: Yeah. And there are a lot of cofactors that can influence, you know, earlier we were discussing about different cofactors for anaphylaxis that can make a reaction worse or better. There are cofactors for environmental allergies too. So when someone says, you know, I'm having an allergy and, and maybe they're referring to something going on in their nose and sinuses. Changes in barometric pressure, in humidity, in air temperature can all affect our nose and sinuses as well. So do viral infections or bacterial infections, of course, too. So it's not always just allergies that are contributing here. So they can definitely change over time. They can change seasonally. Some people develop allergies as they go through life. Other people might lose them. And that's another bit of the science that we don't necessarily understand. Though we do know that for many allergens that they require several exposures, that requires time before you develop an allergy to something.
0: Oh that makes sense. Yeah, so you weren't allergic to shellfish but one day you're allergic to shellfish. Okay.
1: Yeah. And for yeah. for foods that like for foods mostly we see uh, children being affected with food allergies more so than adults, but shellfish and tree nuts would be two exceptions. And an interesting kind of bit about that is that the dust mite protein is quite similar to shellfish. Mm-hmm. So we think that's why Adults may be more likely to develop a shellfish allergy because they're getting they're sensitized to dust mite, and then your body starts to recognize this other protein that looks similar to the dust mite as a problem. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit gross to think about, you know, that um, that maybe our body thinks that shrimp and dust mites are the same. But similarly, for tree nuts, tree nuts are have a very similar kind of protein structure to birch pollen. So it's kind of like this crosstalk that goes a little bit astray. In terms of our body is seeing one thing as a problem, but seeing something else that looks like it. It's like, no, I don't like that either.
0: All these different types of allergies, you've sort of identified them as like a food allergy and an environmental allergy. Are there different categories that you guys use in the clinical setting?
1: So, yeah, in terms of the IgE mediated responses, so those are. IgE is the only thing that I would call an allergy. Anything else I would call a different type of reaction. So in terms of IgE-mediated reactions, those things could be to foods, environmental things, which you discussed. You can sometimes have IgE formation to medications, um, to uh, stinging insects um, like wasps, bees, and hornets, and those would be the main ones. People don't tend to get IgE sensitization to chemicals. So the idea of like scent allergy, a scent can be an irritant, like anything you smell can be an irritant. and can give you the same symptoms that you would have from exposure to an environmental allergy, but scents don't have that same interaction with our immune system. So it's not something that we can do like a scratch test for on your skin for like perfume or for like cigarette smoke, for example.
0: Well, that's actually a perfect lead in to what I was going to ask next is that is the, you know, what, what percentage of the population has different forms of allergies? And how do you actually assess that for somebody? Somebody's thinking like, maybe I do have an allergy and I need to go get checked.
1: Yeah. So the estimates for food allergy are about six to 8% of children and three to 4% of adults that are affected by food allergy. For environmental allergies, I've seen some estimates as high as 30%. So, like you said, there's a very common problem for people to have. And it contributes hugely to people's quality of life. And there's a huge economic burden associated with that too. So a lot of people will will kind of downplay their their symptoms or think that it's something that they don't need to get treated or they don't want to bother someone about it. But there's lots of things we can do to help treat allergies, particularly environmental allergies. So it's always worth a discussion if it's something that's having an effect on your life.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've had seasonal allergies or, or different environmental allergies for my whole life. So has my mother. And it's been something that when I first got it, I was thinking I had the flu or something. I felt really run down, tired, headaches and things like that. And I've learned how to control those over time. But if somebody's getting a test, can you explain what you do when you're actually doing this skin test? Because we were chatting about that on the plane today. And my uh, my colleague said that he's so allergic to cats when he did his arm just uh, blew right up. Yeah, yeah. so...
1: um. When we do the allergy test, what we do is we we put a a drop of the protein that we want to assess for. So we have a, a mix of dust mite proteins that we can kind of drop on your skin, and then we really lightly scratch that drop with a sterile lancet. And that lets some of this underneath the very top layer of your skin. So if you have these preformed antibodies, these IgE antibodies preformed against the dust mite, the cells in that area are going to recognize it, and they're going to make a red welt, like a, a little hive kind of thing where we did the scratch test. So we, uh, we do the scratch, we wait for 10 minutes, and then we come back and assess uh, to see if you've got a, a bump there on your skin.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. That would be a really interesting test. I'm sure there's things that people have all these aha moments where they never realized that they were allergic to something. even somebody like yourself, (laughs) you know, it's
1: it's pretty um, it's a pretty nice test because it gives us results within 10 to 15 minutes. So it's nice to be able to have that discussion with the patient Um, kind of like we get that in real time. We get that information.
0: Cool. Excellent. That's interesting. Well, let's, let's get into some of the things that are specific here. Um, what are some of the primary uh, environmental allergens we're going to see here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Uh, And we can, maybe if it's easier to go by season, then maybe we would take it that way.
1: Yeah. So in terms of environmental allergens, I tend to think about indoor allergens. So dust mite would be the big one there. And dust mites are these little tiny creatures that live in, uh, they mostly like to live in soft things. So we get most of our exposure through mattresses, pillows, things like that are bedding because we you know, obviously spend a lot of time in our bed there's nothing you can do to get rid of dust mites altogether so it's not an issue of like cleanliness or anything like that and it's, and dust mites are different from like house dust like those kind of fine particles that you see collecting on surfaces so it's not something okay well i'll just be really diligent with my cleaning that's not going to remove the dust mites and they would be probably the biggest exposure for people because it's something you can't really control And we also think if someone has pets at home, like cats or dogs, that can be an issue. Feathers in bedding would be another um, indoor or perennial year-round allergen that people can be exposed to. In terms of seasonal allergens, we tend to think of things like trees, grasses, weeds, and molds. So we can react potentially to pollens from those different species of plants trees would be the first things to pollinate so in eastern canada we typically see that between april and may then we go into grass pollen season where we are now which is typically june and july here in newfoundland we tend to have a shorter weed pollen season because they pollinate kind of at the end so august and early september and then once there's kind of piles of decaying vegetation and things like that then we can see that the mold can be an issue for for some people hmm.
0: And and you talked about the effects it can have. You said like uh, there's a cost to it and a quality of life issue. How debilitating can it be if somebody's suffering from really bad allergies?
1: So I have patients who tell me that they basically can't go outdoors during the summer months. And so it's been really satisfying to work with these patients and to to use some of the different therapies that we have to help give them some more control over their symptoms so they have better quality of life. They can participate more fully in what they like to engage in. and. The the flip side to that is sometimes people are using medications like Benadryl, which can have really bad effects that are not recommended anymore. So there have been studies to show that kids who suffer from allergies uh, when they go to write exams compared to kids who did not have allergies were a full grade level, like an A to a B um, below others. And The thought is probably that some of that was contributed from some medications like Benadryl, which have really nasty kind of sedating side effects, which can last even until the next day. I was reading a tweet from an allergist colleague who talked about um, an experiment they did, not them personally, but that was done maybe 20, 25 years ago. And they gave people either a non-drowsy antihistamine, Benadryl, which is a drowsy antihistamine, or some alcohol, and then they tested their reaction time in a driving simulator. And they found that the Benadryl is actually worse than alcohol for delayed reaction times and impairment.
0: And it's interesting because I knew that people used to use a lot of Benadryl in shift work settings to go to sleep because of that drowsy thing. And so it just it it's kind of scary when you think about operating vehicles. Now, somebody's listening to this and they've learned a lot and they're thinking, this could be me. I think I need to seek some help or somebody they know could use some advice. How can they reach out to you guys?
1: So in order for us to accept a patient, they need to be referred to us. So we can accept referrals from different types of health practitioners, and that's um, kind of a moving target these days. But generally speaking, any physician, medical doctor could refer to us. Nurse practitioners can refer to us, and sometimes dentists refer to us as well.
0: And are there any resources that are out there or or associations or websites people could go to to get some information for themselves if they don't have an opportunity to get in to see you guys?
1: Yeah, with respect to food allergies, Food Allergy Canada is a good resource, so folks could just Google that. If someone is looking for an allergist in their area that they would like to speak with their primary care provider about being referred to, the Canadian Society for Allergy and Clinical Immunology, or CSACI.ca, has a tool there called Find an Allergist. So you can look up in your own locality uh, and that's available all throughout Canada, and they can help direct you to a board-certified allergist who can hopefully help with your problem.
0: Well, Dr. Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everybody listening got a lot out of our conversation.
1: Thanks. It was uh, wonderful to be here, and I hope everyone can manage their allergies well throughout this grass pollen season.
0: Today we're learning all about allergens and how we can navigate the summer as best we can, even when the air is full of grass and pollen. Let's get back to the show. Hi, Dr. Yu. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. It's an important topic because we have already talked to your colleague, Dr. O'Keefe, and we were looking at the how and the what of allergies. But now we're going to look a little bit more at probably what people come into your office to talk about on a day to day basis, and that's allergies here in Newfoundland, Labrador. Can you give our audience a bit of a background on yourself?
2: Yeah. So I'm originally born in Ontario. Then I met my lovely wife in school, and uh, once we had kids, we moved back to the Rock, which is where she's from, to be close to family. Um, other than that, um, did most of my training in Ontario, so like uh, my undergrad master's at Western uh, in London, med school in Queens and pediatrics in London, and then allergy immunology training uh, in Hamilton at McMaster.
0: And then left Ontario to uh, live on the rock and... The rest is history. Well, that's a good move, actually. Go there, and get that training, and then bring it back here because you're one of, what, only five allergists in the province, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like, uh,
2: I think, three of us here on, on the east and then one in central, one west, yeah. Well, that's
0: great. I'm glad we could get two of you guys in one episode as well, because it's really helpful information. Dr. Keith was saying that allergies can affect up to 30% of people when it's talking about the environmental allergies. And we want to talk a little bit about the ones that are outdoors this season in our region. Newfoundland and Labrador, we have a challenging environment at the best of times, but it can also get challenging for people with allergies. What are the primary allergic reactions or allergens you're having people come into your clinic to talk about? Yeah. So like this
2: time of year, definitely like pollen season is kind of the the big thing, right? So come like March, April, sometimes a bit later here. And that's kind of one of the things like pollen season typically starts a little bit later here compared to the rest of Canada. But you get the whole gamut of eye symptoms, nose symptoms. So itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, runniness, post-nasal drip, snoring, all of that. And then Stemming from a lot of like the pollen symptoms, you can also get some of like the cross-reactive symptoms with like fruits and vegetables and such like that. Uh, So kind of that whole whole mix of things.
0: Yeah. It's funny because it's not just the environmental allergens outside, but there's also year-long allergens inside that we're facing in our own living environment, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Right. And those are particularly important too when we're in heat waves and some of us are trying to enjoy the sun, but at the same time, we're spending a good chunk of time indoors because you don't want to overheat as well. So in terms of dust mites, uh, especially here in Newfoundland, the dust mites are are a very prominent allergen. Um, and then like pet danders as well. And and those
0: definitely play a role all year round. Mm. If I was thinking about the ones outside, you see commercials and you don't know if the commercials are actually relevant to here. You're like, it's ragweed season or dandelions or whatever. What are some of the specific things that people would be really triggered by? And they kind of change throughout the season, I'm guessing, as they grow and, and shed their pollen, whatever exactly yeah so there's there's like a typical like progression in terms of pollen and this is kind of
2: like throughout canada but just like i said the timing's a little bit different so typically tree pollen picks up in the springtime then grass pollen over the summer and then weed pollens towards the end of the summer Uh, and then there's the mold spores which are typically like kind of early spring but most prominently kind of like end of summer in the fall when everything's kind of damp and wet that sort of humidity aspect of things
0: it's funny, talking to some people, I think that, you know, I don't know if it was exceptionally bad this year with all the rain, but a lot of people were suffering with a lot of like, it seemed like allergic symptoms because it was just so wet. You'd think that, is that actually causing mold and, and things like that to, that can bother our, our respiratory system?
2: Yeah. So, so definitely like uh, the outdoor mold can kind of fluctuate and typically like the damp cooler kind of temperature. So that's like when the freeze fall in the spring and then in the fall when like the leaves and that sort of thing. Probably what a lot of people are suffering from, and this is kind of anecdotal, but historically it seemed like Newfoundland had milder and shorter seasons. Like, you know, it was kind of like the cooler climate kind of thing, but you know, you've probably noticed in the last few years, the summers have definitely been hotter and they're only getting hotter, right? So
0: um,
2: at least like in the clinic, in the last probably two, three years, I've definitely seen a lot more patients with more severe kind of pollen symptoms as compared to the previous years. Yeah.
0: And I think about it too, like think about the spring and even the fall when it starts getting colder in the summertime, if you're an outdoors person, you are in it. Like, you know, I hike the East coast trail, every opportunity I get, does it work like that? Like if you're actually closer to the potential allergen or is it just so saturated in the air around us that it doesn't really matter if we're like in it or not?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think what you're maybe getting at is like, if I expose myself a lot to it, will I get used to it? Will it kind of lessen my allergies kind of thing? And I think there's kind of a couple parts to that. So, um, one part is yes, in the sense that you can desensitize yourself and, and like kind of like change your allergies. But that's usually when we talk about allergy shots or immunotherapy, because uh, mm-hmm. you usually use much higher doses to actually desensitize yourself. Um, so, like from a, uh like objective allergy perspective like you need megadoses. what being outdoors is not enough like in order to kind of desensitize you retrain your immune system aspect of things and that's like allergy shots you continue for three to five years to kind of like I said retrain your immune system in terms of getting used to things definitely like as human beings we definitely habituate to different symptoms right so um like lots of people with like cats and cat allergies or dust mites and like dust mites are all year round, or like, you know, like it's bad at the beginning of the pollen season, but by the end of it, you kind of acclimatize to it. So you get used to, you know, like I'm a little bit stuffy, a little bit itchy, but that's kind of my baseline and you kind of get used to it and it's not too bothersome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is truth to that. And like, kind of like the classic kind of story uh, is oftentimes, especially with like pet allergies that, you know, um, someone's grown up with a cat or a dog their entire lives, no problems they go off like on trip or school or work uh, or like on for a couple of weeks and then come back. And then all of a sudden they're like, what, what's going on? Why do I suddenly like start reacting to cat? And it's partly because like, you know, when you're living with the animal, say your, your allergies are hovering at say 50% all the time. And like fluctuating 40 to 60, you don't really notice it. You're a little bit stuffy, but if you go away for a period of time and you go from zero to 60, you definitely notice that kind of change. Huh. Right. So, so I think that's the, the, the aspect
0: in that regard. It's almost like being in a rock concert and not realizing how loud it is. So you walk out and the music's (laughs) off. Yeah, exactly. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. Okay. So somebody has allergies. You don't say, Oh, you're allergic to grass. Go cut the lawn. It's going to make you better. It's probably going to make them worse. Okay. So I'm thinking if that's the case and somebody can't, unless they've got special medical treatment to be able to like, uh, again, uh, desensitize them to this, uh, is there, is there conditions that can exacerbate it then? So like, you know, being in, being, mowing a lawn or, you know, being outdoors in the woods, does that make it actually worse for people?
2: Uh, there's not a, like a one answer to that. I, I think like, so um, as you probably can imagine, like there's a whole range of severity from patient to patient. And when you talk severity, it depends on objective symptoms as well as perception of symptoms, right? So someone might have a runny nose and it's the worst runny nose in the world. Other people like runny nose, but like, I love my cat or dog and that's totally fine. I love my hiking I'm just going to do it and that's fine, right? So so that part of it. And then I guess when we talk about pollens, at the end of the day, there's no avoiding these things, right? So whether it's dust mites, pets, pollen, you're never going to 100% avoid them, right? So like you can't avoid the outdoors. Dust mites are everywhere. Um, even if you don't have pets, half the people in Newfoundland have pets. So any public place, you're going to be exposed to some dander, right? So I'll just say you don't need to live in fear and worry that it's going to necessarily worsen you because to some degree, the allergies themselves are unavoidable. So it's kind of, you know, our goal, I think, or at least my, my goal, and I suspect this, like Dr. O'Keefe as well, or Andy, is that, you know, we're, we're going to try to aim to improve your quality of life, right? Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes, you're going to have some symptoms, but we ideally want you to be able to carry on with the things that you want to do, whether that's hiking, having pets, and, and doing whatever you need to do kind of thing.
0: So if you were to give, and I know you can't, obviously everybody's unique, every symptom is unique, Mm -hmm. every case is unique, but if there's some general advice to people listening, what would you tell the average person on managing and alleviating allergies this time of year?
2: Yeah. So typically when I chat with patients about environmental allergies, uh, I talk about it like a threefold approach. So there's kind of avoidance, there's medication, and then there's immunotherapy. So generally avoidance wise, like I said, is minimizing your exposure, knowing that you can't 100% avoid it, right? So from a pollen, it's outdoors kind of thing. So the main kind of avoidance thing you can do is typically try to sleep with your windows closed during pollen season. So whenever you're symptomatic, So that six to eight hours when you're sleeping is kind of like a time when you get a break, when you're awake, you're going to be outdoors. And like I said, You're not going to be able to avoid all that, all the different exposure. We don't want you. We want you to be active, want you to do all those different things. Depending on the severity, pollen wise, sometimes people are more sensitive. If you have other skin disorders like eczema and different things like that. Clothing, if you dry it outdoors, you can imagine you can see the pollen on your car, you can see the pollen on your clothes, and that'll make you itchy. Some people, it doesn't bother as much. So if that's bothersome, like, you know, don't hang your clothes outside on high pollen days and such. Um, and it's not a perfect thing, but I've talked to a lot of patients about uh, looking up like the pollen count. So you can go like pollen count, St. John's, Toronto, wherever you are. And the weather network is usually that first link. And you can kind of get a rough gauge of what's in the air. And if it's low, moderate or high, and kind of gauge your activity there. So maybe I won't go for my 20K run that day, you know, <laughs> if the pollen counts yeah. are high.
0: Well, it's kind of like a UV rating, or even look at the humidity, or yeah, or anything exactly. like that. Wind chill in the winter. Okay, Doctor Yu. So one of the things is I think sometimes make people may confuse allergies with other symptoms. It could be a, a congestion, or it could be a skin rash, or something along those lines. Can you walk me through some of the signs and symptoms that somebody may actually have an allergy, not something else?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, kind of a couple of the the symptoms that we look at. We kind of categorize the different allergic diseases that we see. So. Um, if you have a lot of the itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, post nasal drip, you know, we definitely kind of think about environmental allergies or allergic rhinitis. So, kind of like the upper airway sort of things. Sometimes during pollen season and otherwise, if you start to have like coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, exacerbations with viral infections or exercise, you start to think about asthma and and that aspect, different rashes. So um, typically there's kind of the two main rashes that we see oftentimes are hives and then also eczema type rashes. So hives, typically they're smooth, very itchy, blotchy. They can be a little bit raised, sometimes kind of like welts, whereas the eczema type rashes are typically rough, bumpy. Sometimes there can be a little bit of oozing and secretions. And then we think about eczema in terms of the, the eczema type rashes, and that can be of the way your skin is like called atopic dermatitis or it could be like contact triggers so like sometimes people react to like metals creams sunblocks hair dyes different things like that and then in terms of hives there's a whole variety of different reasons to get hives which is one of the things that we see a lot of Um, So one is probably the most common that we see is something that was often called idiopathic or like acute urticaria. So hives that we don't really have a good reason. And a lot of people might have experienced this, like, you know, you're stressed, you have a deadline, you break down a couple hives or you have an infection, you break out in a few hives. Sometimes you just have an itchy spot and you look and there's a few hives or like something swollen and there's no clear cause. And that's probably the most frustrating but also one of the most common things that we see from the hive's perspective. A small proportion of hives are usually directly allergy related, right? So typically they come in one of two flavors. So if you're thinking anaphylactic allergies and everybody oftentimes thinks about anaphylactic allergies when you think about hives, um, the typical triggers for those are foods, medications, stinging insects. Typically for those reactions to work, the allergens got to get into your blood, right? So if you think about a food, a medication, a stinging insect, the food or medication you're ingesting stinging it's like you're stinging gets into the bloodstream circulates mm-hmm. once it circulates moves around and that's when you get those systemic reactions right so reactions in multiple places what you see in the movies kind of thing right so stomach you're vomiting diarrhea lungs trouble breathing heart and blood vessels fainting skin hives and swelling reactions those ones are typically very fast very reproducible so kind of think like peanut allergy peanut reaction, peanut reaction, peanut reaction, very fast, very reproducible kind of thing. So oftentimes the, the telltale of that is that one, like you, you can imagine there's a they're clearly patterned and oftentimes, like, you know, I just ate that cookie that had peanut and like I had a reaction. It's not as subtle and hidden kind of thing. So that's one subset of hives that would be allergy cause. And then the other one typically is when you're in contact with an environmental allergen. Um, So classic thing being like, you know, say someone cat allergic, you pet a cat, break out a rash, touch your eye, your eye swells up, rub your lip, your lip swells up, or say grass pollen allergy, fresh cut grass, you sit on it, wherever you're in contact, you get like high swelling. So one, once again, allergy wise, if it's allergy driven hives, typically very fast and very predictable. So, you know, you just pet the cat, you know, you just sat on grass and it's typically more than just the hives, right? Yeah. So you're close to a cat or pollen. You're sneezing. Your eyes yeah. are watering. All that sort of thing. And then, uh, like I said, the anaphylactic allergies. You also get the other symptoms like trouble breathing, fainting, vomiting, in addition to the hives kind of thing, right? So the 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 hive like aspect, like I said, is is a whole can of worms. And then there's a lot of different rashes that are not allergy at all that look like the hives, uh, but behave differently. And it's one of the things that we see a lot of. And there's a big differential in terms of considerations.
0: Uh, That's that's the point though. That's why you're on the show is Mm -hmm. that we need to have experts. It's never, ever that simple. And I think that's one of the appreciations we try to give to our listeners is that there is obviously a tremendous amount of training that goes into your specialty, but that's why we have experts like you on here. So one of the things is you chose this field for a reason. You're a physician. You get to help people every single day. What's the most rewarding part of your job as somebody who deals with this area of medicine? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think there's
2: there's multiple parts, I guess, that I really love about my job. So I think from a personal level, I love diving into the underlying mechanisms and understanding the pathophysiology of the different diseases and with the newer medications, where the different treatments are targeting and, and those pathways are always expanding. And I find that very intellectually stimulating. Um, from a clinical perspective, probably the most satisfying parts are with the food allergies, patients that are able to outgrow or if it's uncertain, and then we do food challenges and are able to clear allergies, changing that quality of life for patients is very rewarding, right? So, you know, they start off with typical, you know, you avoid it, it's life-threatening, you could die, there's lots of like anxiety around it. And then seeing that transition, if you're able to, like in that minority, be able to clear the allergy or rule it out is like a very satisfying part. And then I think the environmental allergies, I get a lot of joy from too, right? Because it's a very testable, treatable, satisfying kind of approach to things. Like I said, from medications, fortunately, they're very safe. We have a number of options. And if that doesn't do it, then we have immunotherapy, which is a little bit more of a commitment. But also you see the difference in those patients that start the allergy shots and it's night and day. Obviously, it doesn't work for everybody, but mm-hmm. um, I, I find that very rewarding and kind of that variety, right? Like kind of as we touched upon, the good thing about the specialty is there's a whole gamut of things. Then this is just the allergy part. There's also the immunology part, right? So mm-hmm. like your immune system and all that aspect of things too.
0: That's great. No, there seems to be a very clear passion between yourself and, uh, and, and Dr. O'Keefe as well. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to get away from your busy clinic and spend some time helping all of us understand something. I didn't know much about to be honest with you. I learned a lot during this episode and I always love that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, it was great time with you. Thank you to Dr. O'Keefe and Dr. Yu for joining me today. We hope you found today's episode on Allergies Helpful as we try to make the most out of our summer. Understanding the environmental allergens that affect us in Newfoundland and Labrador is crucial for managing our symptoms and enjoying the outdoors to the fullest. Remember, allergies can be diverse and can impact each individual differently. So if you suspect you might be dealing with allergies, don't hesitate to speak to your medical team. Seeking out professional advice can help you identify allergens, explore treatment options, and improve your quality of life. We're really fortunate to have such knowledgeable experts who share their insights with us on the show. Their expertise allows us to navigate and gain valuable knowledge that's important on different subjects. So if you have a topic you want to learn more about, you can find us on social media or email us at wallshow@vocm.com and let us know what you want to hear about. Well, thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.